Hi, Jim Roddy here from the RSPA. Now, I know it's spring, but I'm ready to talk about summer and the Retail IT Channel's hottest show, Retail Now 2022, hosted by the RSPA. Registration is now open, so you can save your spot to join channel leaders live and in person July 24th through 26th at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando. Retail Now will have everything you've come to expect from the RSPA, plus several new features, including six education tracks on executive education, security and legal, next-gen technology, sales and customer service, and cannabis, plus a new ISV education track for software developers. There's also going to be Niche and Startup Alley in the Expo Hall and the first ever ISV Community Networking Reception. Thanks to a strong retail now in 2021, this year's event is expecting close to 2,000 attendees and nearly 200 show floor exhibitors, which could make this the best retail now ever. For all the details and to register at a discounted early bird rate, act now and visit the Retail Now website today at gorspa.org forward slash retail now. Hope to see you there. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Mike Monticello, who you'll have the chance to meet in person at Retail Now. Enjoy our conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we'll focus on the changing retail IT channel with a special guest. It's Mike Monticello, the co-founder of two online publications, DevPro Journal, which is dedicated to software developers, and Everything is a Service Journal, which provides VARs and ISVs with insights into new sources of recurring revenue. Prior to those ventures, Mike was the former owner of a software development company and served as editor of uh, editor-in-chief of Business Solutions Magazine. And he's also been a longtime contributor to the RSPA as a committee member, a speaker, a panel moderator, and a current contributor. Mike, always great to talk with you. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. Thanks for that awesome intro as well. Didn't know I was so accomplished. Sure, happy to do it. Well, we've been around this space a long time, you and yeah. me uh, yes, together. We have. And I've got to be full disclosure with our audience, this isn't news to Mike, but uh, we worked together for 10 years at Business Solutions Magazine. So I started there in 1998. Mike worked there from uh, 2000, uh, starting in 2006. And then we were connected before that uh, because I coached Mike's uh, younger brother, Nicky. He probably goes by Nick now, right? Nobody yes. calls him Nicky at this point. <laughs> uh, Nick Monticello. And so we are both from Erie, Pennsylvania, which is in Northwest uh, Pennsylvania. So, Mike, we wanted to talk about the channel, but do you think our listeners might want to hear us banter about Erie a little bit? Maybe like Ann Davis, you know, from the Brady Bunch, Pat Monahan, <laughs> Train, things like that. Uh, considering that's about the the extent of the list, I don't think we have much more to talk about with when it comes to Erie, other than the snow. And I don't think anyone wants to hear about that. So, <laughs> uh, Karen Kadavi, Olympic skater, Fred Blitnikoff. Uh, oh, come on! Now you're you're reaching the bottom of the barrel here. All respect. To <laughs> well, that's going, that's going back probably 70 years or so. Yeah. Uh, but no, Fred, Freddie B. Yeah, Freddie B. Yeah. He's a legend. Yeah. So, all right. So enough enough about Erie. Maybe we will touch on some eerie things later. But um, let's. And so I know we're, we want to talk about, you know, the most recent changes and impending changes in the retail IT channel. But as we kind of alluded to, you've had a front row seat to the changing channel for the past, you know, 15 or 16 years. So looking back on that decade and a half, what do you see as the most significant changes in the retail IT channel? 
Gosh, yeah, there have been a lot of them. Um, you know, let me, I, I guess I'll first take it from the perspective of, of an ISV because, you know, with DevPro Journal, the publication we launched, focus on ISVs, talk to a lot of ISVs. That's really the space that I've been living in quite a bit. Um, you know, in the past decade, we've seen ISVs become even more important. You know, not that software obviously uh, wasn't always important, but today it, it's really become the critical piece of most solutions. You know, software drives most businesses um, and the critical nature of software really have made, um, you know, ISVs real VIPs in the, in the IT channel, if you will. Um, beyond that, you know, there's been a ton of technological changes as we've seen, you know, the rise of cloud computing, um, leveraging cheap storage and compute through services like AWS and Azure. Um, you know, something really, you know, common that we've seen in at the RSPA is the intersection of point of sale and, and payments. You know, we saw those worlds siloed for such a long time and now they're very integrated. We're seeing traditional point of sale companies get into payments and ISOs from the payment side getting into software and even reselling some hardware. Um, so, you know, those are a couple things from technology standpoint. Additionally, you know, over the past 10 years, we've seen an increase in subscription services. Um, you know, customers, the, the merchants out there, they, you know, they prefer operational expenses over capital, capital expenditures. Um, and so, you know, as those services have become more and more available, merchants are, you know, very eager to, to adopt them. Um, and then we've even seen some IT companies, you know, uh, VARs and ISVs consume these subscription services themselves, you know, to become more nimble, to, to offer uh, additional services and things like that. And then, um, what else I was going to say, D data. Data is a big one, Jim. You know, like, I mean, today, everything creates data. And so we're finding ways to collect that data, to use it, to make um, you know, timely business decisions that are, can be really, really impactful. And then the last piece I'd probably say um, is mobility. You know, um, we all are using cell phones now, tablets, laptops, but they become so much more powerful, you know, and, and now they're being used in the enterprise in new and exciting ways. You know, it, I, the idea of running a full-blown point of sale system on a tablet uh, was, you know, un unthinkable years ago. And now, you know, we've got it and then some, um, and, you know, 5G coming around promises to take mobility even further. So, you know, those are some things from a technology standpoint. And then there's just one other thing I want to mention that, um, you know, I kind of touched on when I mentioned the subscription stuff earlier is the business model has changed. As you know, we've, you know, talked a lot about it on stage. We've written about it in various publications you know, this focus on recurring revenue by offering solutions as a service um, it has just become more and more predominant um, and building streams of recurring revenue has never been more important to the IT reseller channel. You know, it's so thanks for that. And that's an interesting walk down memory lane. And it's funny. So as I was taking notes, like I'm thinking about each one of these and the resistance when these first showed up on the horizon, and maybe not just even the first time they showed up, but for the first years that they're on the horizon, like cloud, it's not safe, 
Ray, you can't go to cloud. I don't want any of my data in the cloud storage. What do I need extra storage for? Well, it's because of this data. What do I need data for? Well, because your system is going to develop all these trends and analytics. You can change yeah. your, your business on. POS and payments, like, hey, man, I'm a, not a payments person, right? I don't want to get into, into that. Uh, you mentioned about mobility. Tablets will never work right? in a retail yeah. environment or yeah. a restaurant uh, environment. And then that business model, I can remember when this was first introduced, uh, it was ConnectWise, Arnie Bellini, right? Yeah. And it was uh, Chris Rumpf on stage and one other person. They went through the whole thing about this as a service business model. Any questions? And one person walked over to the microphone and said, this will never work. <laughs> right? And so it's interesting, like you look back and realize these weren't like, oh, what a hot new idea. And everybody just raced towards it. There was resistance and they really had to to fight through it. So am I remembering that the same way? And I guess what is what is your perspective on that? What does that teach us now for changes that are around the corner in terms of just because it scares you doesn't mean it's wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think the the lesson there and it's it's neat the way you kind of teed that up because I wasn't thinking that when I was, you know, riffing off the list there. But it it's it's very real. There has been resistance as each of those things have kind of come around. And I think that the the solution providers who maybe are less resistant or, you know, dive headfirst into those things, they see them more as opportunities than threats. And th those have been the companies. I'm not saying that they haven't had problems or that there weren't challenges that they encountered, but I think for the most part, they probably reaped most of the, the benefits. Um, Whereas companies that didn't adopt some of those things, they might not even be around anymore, not to, mm -hmm. not to be extreme with it, but that, that could be a reality. Minimally, I'd say that they're playing catch up at that point. You know? So the lesson to me would be to always be looking ahead at what's going on, not as a threat, but as an opportunity. Yeah. And can you imagine trying to start a business now? I'm going to be a reseller, but I'm not going to do payments. I'm not going to do cloud. I'm not going to deal with data mobility. I'm not going to do it on recurring revenue. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing then? You selling cash drawers? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, you would just be selling, you know, analog systems is really what yeah. it would be uh, is what you're down to. Yeah. And there's not some, some huge need for that. Someone's going to steal your lunch, right? The, yeah. the squares, the toasts and all that of the world. So well, thanks for that list. Let's do a deeper dive into, into two of those. Uh, so okay. one would be recurring revenue. And then also you mentioned about, you know, the emergence of ISVs being central to our industry. So, you know, we're walking down memory lane here. So do you recall an Inspire event? I, I think it was a vendor working group that meant like early in the morning. So we had this meeting and we kind of debated in terms of how's the recurring revenue model going to move into the POS space? Because we had seen it over in the managed services side that didn't have quite as much hardware to deal with once, you know, storage went to the cloud. And there were questions like, who's going to hold the paper right on the products that enable, you know, the VARs to offer, you know, their services on a recurring revenue basis. And so we had that deep discussion, talked for a few days. And on the way back from the event, here's what I remember. You and I ate lunch at, it was a TGI Fridays and, DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth, the only table they had was like in a corner somewhere, like a triangle <laughs> corner. Like we couldn't even put our luggage there. And we were saying like, this should be our cause at BSM, right? We've got to encourage these POS VARs to transition to that managed services recurring revenue business model. So first, I don't know if you remember it that same way, but can you talk about how you've seen organizations that used to be known as POS dealers transition to that as a service business model and then also, I guess, on top of that, what should those VARs, what can they do today? What should they do today to, to further increase their monthly recurring revenue? Yeah. So, you know, um, going back down memory lane, as you say, you know, 
you and I had an advantage back then in that at Business Solutions Magazine, we weren't just covering the retail space. We were covering the broad IT reseller channel, including managed services providers. So I think we had that unique perspective, not truly that unique, but at least you know, in that room at the RSPA where we had seen that this absolutely could work and that it does work and that there are a lot of benefits to it. So I think that's why you and I were like thinking, yeah, this is this is the future for the for this market. And these guys are they have a huge opportunity here. Um, you know, back when I don't you know, I kind of was already drifting off during your intro uh, for me. So um, I don't remember if you spoke at all about when I was a VAR, but way, you know, before everything else, you know, I was a VAR and an ISV for a short time. And, you know, we had no recurring revenue. I mean, it wasn't really a big thing back then, but yeah. we, we really suffered for it when we lost, really, it was like one big customer. So, you know, you could, we had lots of other problems, but definitely recur not having recurring revenue was one of them. And, you know, there are a lot of traditional resellers who over the years recently have been having some some trouble troubles, you know, and for those that got into recurring revenue is almost like a, a panacea, you know, for their struggles. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, customers today want subscription services. They like that lower monthly payment. And the industry sh started shifting that way, and the VARs that made the shift um, to offering solutions as as a service have have really benefited. Um, and you know, for the most part, those who got into it first, if you're not doing it yet, I mean, you know, the people who dip their toes in usually just take their existing line card and try to bundle their solutions. You know, so what we saw first was the you know point of sale hardware bundle software throwing a little credit card and that's your point of sale as a service solution, you know? Um, but what we've seen since as, as this market has matured within the retail space, um, and you know, I say retail, including restaurant, grocery and all that, um, you know, what we've seen is that these resellers are now adding additional value added services, plugging it into their line card to increase their monthly recurring revenue. And so, you know, getting to the answer of your question, I think there are, you know, dozens of services that someone could be providing that they probably aren't right now. And, you know, what you ultimately decide to offer as a reseller is going to depend, I think, on your customers' needs, your capabilities. And then hopefully it would be something that your customers, or not your customers, your competitors don't currently offer, right? Um, to give you a, you know, a step up on your competition. So, you know, if you're in restaurant or retail and your customers need digital signage and you're interested, maybe you should be offering digital signage as a solution. You know, that's where you take the displays, some software, maybe you even get into some content creation. And that could be a really powerful addition to your line card that your competitors currently aren't offering. It could give you some really nice recurring revenue, create more sticky of a relationship between you and your customer. I mean, there's all upside to it, you know, um, and, you know, both the RSPA and you mentioned uh, everything as a service journal, we have lists of potential monthly recurring revenue sources and, uh, you know, people listening, if they haven't looked at those, they definitely should look at those lists and determine what they might be able to add, you know. 
Yeah, and it's almost like if I can, I almost feel like to pause to say, it seems like running a VAR business, you need to pause on a regular basis. You can't just put your head down and plow forward and keep doing what you're doing faster, no. right? More efficiently, because that's kind of what we've talked about in terms of there are these new opportunities. A lot of people saw them as threats, but if you got on board with them early, you benefited way early from them as well. And then from the recurring revenue standpoint, that doesn't happen on its own, right? Things just don't naturally shift in your business towards recurring revenue. You have to intentionally add those services to intentionally convert what happens. And again, you know, we you referenced us being on stage. BSM had a series of events, the channel transitions. Again, I'm not informing you, Mike, I'm informing uh, our audience, right? And that was all about shifting to the as a service business model. And that's because the business leader, leaders said, we are going to do this differently. We are going to do it better. So I guess that's a big lesson here as well. I guess the way that I'm seeing it, I'm not sure how you're uh, seeing it that way as well. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I should also mention that, you know, these services that you add to your line card, they can go way beyond traditional quote unquote retail. You know, I mean, you can get into network security, video surveillance, business continuity, um, you know, hosted VoIP, like phone systems. Um, there, there are so many different services that you could get into, but you have to be willing to, you know, investigate, learn about them and, and, make the leap. Um, you know, one thing that we've um, seen a huge uptick in during the pandemic is uh, contact center as a service, Jim. I'm not sure if that's on your list. It's kind of uh -huh. fits under like um, unified communications. But, um, you know, if there are probably it'd be more like retail customers, retailers that are large enough to have like a help desk or a call center rather. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've, they're probably struggling keeping all their call center employees connected. They, they might have some at home, some in the office, so like a hybrid situation. And so there are, you know, contact center solutions that are hosted that you could offer as a reseller that would help your customer, you know, manage their call centers. Because the other thing too is like it says, you know, it's called a call center, but nowadays contacts are not made just via telephone calls you know it could yep. be a message via twitter it could be you know a chat bot on your website all these different messages are coming in different ways and you need a way to manage them um, spread them around escalate them do all that stuff so um I, sorry i'm taking us off topic a little bit but there, i mean the, i feel the like my is, reaction to that should be uh, that'll never work i don't see how that <laughs> yeah <laughs> And the the fact is, there are just so many different potential services that someone could be offering. Yep. So. yep. And you you've got to make the move. You know, Carl Polichuk spoke at a lot of our channel transitions events. He's a man, former managed services provider, yep. now as a managed services provider coach. And he would always say, nothing happens by itself, right? So he would always implore uh, folks to take action. So uh, before we take action to take a commercial break, uh, I also want to talk about the software developer aspect of it. So you launched DevPro Journal to serve that you know, niche of ISVs. Talk about the growth, the changes you've seen in that sector. And what do you think is ahead for the ISVs who serve the verticals you mentioned, retail, restaurants, grocery? Yeah, I mean, so as men, as you know as i mentioned earlier isvs have really increased in importance uh you know they've really gone from like the the nerds sitting in the periphery to <laughs> really the the leaders and drivers of of innovation in their respective industries um you know it's it's pretty impressive as as for what's ahead jim 
Um, I mean, I can only assume that we're going to continue to see ISVs build solutions. And, I, you know, those solutions that they'll build are, are usually based on unaddressed needs, um, you know. So while there, there are so many platforms right now that are already well established in retail, restaurant and grocery, I think there's plenty of room for innovative ISVs who identify problems or needs that haven't been addressed yet by the current software that's out there. Um, you know, and maybe it hasn't been addressed because it's outside the scope of what the typical software thought should be included. Um, it could be a new need that's created because, you know, as we've talked about, like obviously the pandemic created all kinds of new challenges and needs, um, or it could just be something that's that's overlooked. You know, I mean, how many times do you see some dumb invention that you're like, I can't believe that no one thought of this or how did I miss this? There are probably lots of opportunities out there and the people who are watching this you guys are the ones who are talking to your customers all the time you hear about all the problems that they're facing the challenges that they're looking to overcome and you know what gaps exist so you might be sitting on a million dollar idea you know yeah absolutely and you don't have to create some totally full-blown you know, software, you can do a, a, a tweak no. on to, that's what a lot of VARs have done is, yep. you know, to get into the ISV space, they either have an outsourced developer or they start bringing somebody on board and start making some tweaks to meet those specific uh, customer needs. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, so uh, let's pause here to let our listeners and our uh, viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. Uh, annual memberships for VARs start at just $250 a year for dozens of high-value services, including access to a legal advisor, a security advisor, and an ISV and VAR business advisor. Vendors and software developer members benefit from an RSP membership as well through introductions to VAR and ISV members and by showcasing their solutions through the exclusive RSPA Solution Center. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, big thanks to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors, Blue Star. Our gold sponsors are Brother, Cocard, Heartland, ScanSource, and Shift4. To receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at GoRSPA.org. Finally, registration is now open for Retail Now 2022, the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. If, that's a, if this is the first time you're hearing about Retail Now, welcome to the podcast because we've been talking about it for a while now. This year's event set for July 24th through 26th at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. Retail Now is where the industry meets. And uh, Mike, we were hyping you're going to be there uh, as well. So people can meet Mike Mon the Mike Monticello live in person <laughs> in the play. You trying to get people to the event? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> That is true. Well, that's our new tagline. It's where Mike Monticello is, as opposed to where the industry meets, uh, is, is what, uh, what we're doing. So, all right. So for those of you who are watching on YouTube, uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're taking a, a technical risk here, and we're going to share a chart about business models inside of the retail IT channel. And for those of you listening on audio only, we're going to do our best to describe the chart. Uh, and so what we'll do is um, we're talking about business models, and this is kind of going to be what we're going to, uh, Mike and I are going to talk about for the remainder uh, of this podcast today. And so, uh, you know, it all starts out when you talk about business models in this space, it starts off with the VAR. They're at the heart of it, right? Then you can call them a reseller, you can call them a dealer. And so if you're not watching, it's a big blue circle right in the middle. And when it starts with VARs, 
there's going to be vendors there uh, as well. And you can see the vendors in the ISV or the vendors in the VARs are connected there. And again, this is any vendor who has, you know, works in the general retail IT space with a VAR channel. And then, of course, we saw the emergence of distributors and distributors continue to play an ever expanding role today in adding, you know, new services and taking the burden off of the vent, not just the vendor, but also the VAR as well, adding all sorts of marketing services as well. So for years, this was the channel for the most part. And then we saw the emergence of I ISVs uh, with a VAR channel. Um, and so you can see, for those who are watching, the ISV bubble on here, the circle is lighter blue, because we would say right now from an RSPA uh, you know, community standpoint, you know, we have some penetration ISV, but the deeper blue, we have more penetration of the VARs, the vendor, and the distributors, just because there's so many ISVs that are out there. So Mike, I'm gonna pause here as we continue to build out, you know, what this ecosystem uh, looks like from a business model standpoint. Sure. And, you know, we touched earlier in terms of, you know, ISVs and VARs and the crossover there. And so we see a trend of VARs developing or acquiring their own intellectual property. And so you were kind of in that spot before, is that what you would be doing today if you were the owner of a reseller company, would you be looking to not just add all sorts of recurring revenue, but figure out how can you create your own niche software? Um, yeah, me personally, I would be all about trying to create my own niche software. But I, you know, I think it depends on what someone wants out of their VAR business and where they are in their career. I mean, if if you're ready to retire in a few years, you might not have the desire to go through the necessary changes or the the, the time to go through it. You know, you're, if you're a small company, happy to get by, you might not want to get in the software game, but that's, that's bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'd recommend staying static. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned CoCard is one of the sponsors, uh, Dan Bratlin of CoCard. He was at Inspire uh, a few months ago and he mentioned uh, during his presentation, the importance of small continuous improvements and never getting comfortable. And we kind of already talked a little bit about that, about these opportunities that exist. Um, so unless you have a really sound reason, I think it makes sense to at least consider getting into software. Um, and you don't have to write an application from scratch, as you said, Jim. There are opportunities out there. You, as I said, you understand the needs of your customers. You probably you might already have an idea for an add-on or or maybe even a full application that addresses an unmet need, you know, so why not capitalize on it? Um, you know, plus, uh, it, it's really never been easier to develop. I mean, there are freelancers out there, developers can be found at local colleges. And then, you know, there's been just really profound advances um, in the realm of like this low-code, no-code uh, concept where you're able to develop these small applications with really little to no coding. I don't want to minimize it and make it seem like it's just the easiest thing in the world, but now is the time to get into this. And it's a heck of a lot easier than it was five years ago or going way back. So again, you and I work oh, yeah. together. Uh, you remember from a website standpoint, uh, we had a webmaster, right? And then there was also one out of town. And that person, I think we might have had a COBOL or something was the... Yeah. Or what was it? Fusion? What was? Do you remember the name of that? Cold Fusion, or something like that? Whatever language it was written in. Oh, go ahead. No, you're right. It was Cold Fusion. Yep. 
And so it requires somebody like who knew all sorts of, we would be like, man, if I had a kid, I've had them get into web development. Well, now there's so many web development things that are, you know, what is it, WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get, right? It's way more straightforward than that for folks to be able to build uh, a website in order to do it. And so again, not that it's become that easy for VARs to do, but this is part of why we're seeing it uh, increase. So if you're a VAR, you haven't looked into this opportunity uh, in a while in terms of what you can do, the bar just keeps getting lower and lower. Uh, and lower, I guess. What, what's your take on that, Mike? And also, you can see on our screen here that there is a crossover with VARs and ISVs because we see I, you know, VARs continue to add and become their own software developers. Yeah. So, what, I, I guess I lost your question in there, Jim. Yeah. And so, in terms of, do you continue to see the bar? Is that only going to get lower oh, yeah. and lower as we go forward in terms of that VARs will be able to do their own development? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we said, there's, you know, there's all kinds of different, there are APIs out there and a lot of the, a lot of like services that already exist. It's, it's never been easier to, to connect uh, what used to be disparate systems uh, and, and have them share information and, and do really, really cool things. Great. All right. So that is, you know, the channel again, there's VARs, vendors, DISTs, and ISVs. The two other spaces that we've seen, and there's a big crossover here with VARs as well, and you touched on it earlier, Mike, the ISOs or the hybrid ISOs, right? These are folks who, you know, back in the old the days when we talked about a lot of ISOs, they were just going door to door and trying to swap out uh, the payment systems. But now as payments become integrated with um, the POS software, it's harder for them to displace. And so they're starting to act like VARs and offer more than just payment solutions. And then the managed services providers, we see those folks before that was like not in existence uh, in this space, but we see MSPs are now starting to get into retail IT before they, you know, it was way too different of a business model, but now because of the networking coming together and there's a lot of recurring revenue options, we see more MSPs uh, moving in as well. So Mike, I'm curious to hear your take on you know some of those ISOs growing into that VAR business model as well as the opportunities that MSPs uh, see in this space you know because everything's running on you know a full suite of managed services even if the folks currently in our space don't call it themselves MSPs they act a lot that way and we're starting to see more enter this space so wh what's your take on uh, on that progress and where it's going to go yeah sure uh, so from an ISO perspective you know we I've been writing about this for a while now um, and I've gotten into trouble in the past. I'll probably get into a little trouble here. I mean, ISOs certainly can become VARs and we are seeing that happen more often, but um, I, I don't, I still don't think it's happening very, very often, especially for the small, you know, the, the people, like you said, the feet on the street, the agents that are out there going door to door, trying to sell payment processing services. I'm I'm not seeing it as much because the learning curve is just so much higher um, to get into uh, point of sale, you know, to become like a VAR. Um, the appetite for change has to be a lot greater, you know. Um, compared to a VAR getting into payments, I mean, the VAR already understands the technology. They understand um, every aspect of their merchant's business, whereas an ISO might only understand currently the payment side of things. So from what I've seen, the majority of ISOs, you know, the smaller ones are, are happy to stick with processing right now. And that could be to their detriment long-term. I'm, I'm sure it would be. The bigger ones, the more savvy ones, yes, they're trying to get into point of sale um, or, you know, become more of like a, a, what we would consider a traditional VAR. If they get into technology at all though, 
it's it's usually as a referral type of a thing where they're kind of staying away from the installation and support of the hardware and software. Um, and again, as a as a VAR, as we see these two worlds combining, the VAR for the VAR, it's just much easier to get into the payment side of of business and and go that way. Um, so that's kind of the ISO thing. Any comments on that before I answer your MSP part? No, I'll just say what we've also seen is, uh, you know, that they can offer as an ISO through their, you know, provider, like something like a Square or a Clover or something like that. But that's hard to compete with a VAR who's operating in a niche market, right? Because just because you're yeah. going door to door and offering that system, well, a lot of times <clears throat> they can get that system without you uh, going door to door. So it's almost going back to your point earlier of the VARs who got into some of these uh, models earlier they were able to get through isos joining in late it's going to be hard for them to skip over and become that var we do see some of it happening but it's it's a long climb right they can't expect to snap their yeah. fingers they're going to become a var with yeah. that expertise yeah exactly exactly um and then you mentioned msps or managed services providers um you know i i would say that some of the more savvy members of the rspa I don't know if they would call themselves like a retail MSP, but they definitely are. As you mentioned, they are doing true managed services in a retail setting. They are definitely a threat to traditional VARs. However, the bulk of MSPs out there are, you know, what I would just consider a classic traditional MSP coming from the IT world. I'm not sure how big of a threat they are to the reseller channel or to the retail reseller channel. Um, because I think, you know, MSPs, especially these established ones that have been around for, you know, a long time, you know, they're all about efficiency. They're all about using their systems and tools to get everything running smoothly. And in a perfect world, you know, they don't even get any calls from customers. And retail and restaurant, they're never perfect. And I've talked to so, so many MSPs who they're just not interested in fielding calls at 9 p.m. on a Saturday night when the... Right you know, point of sale system goes down or there's credit card issues. So, you know, I've, I've just talked to so many MSPs that just don't really have any interest in those verticals for that reason, um, you know, fielding calls after normal business hours. So while there are still some though that are getting into retail, I wouldn't really classify a traditional MSP as like the biggest threat to, to VARs. You know. Yeah, or that MSPs are totally in a race towards this model for that very reason. I've had conversations as well. I remember going, this is dating myself, to a Zenith Infotech MSP conference uh, back yeah. to this was north of, uh, of Pittsburgh and asking folks here, have you ever considered retail? And they're like, I like hanging out at night. Right? Like, I don't have to put up with the, you know, deal with any of yeah. that at all. And then it's like, well, you could have a staff member do it. I don't want them doing it either. And if they don't show up and yada, yada, yada. So that's the whole thing. If you're willing to pay prices in this space and get used to that and just understand it's a little bit more, uh, considerably more oftentimes in nine to five, uh, you know, you're going to be a step up because the MSPs don't want to deal with that. Exactly. Yep. Yep. All right, last couple steps we want to talk about. First, we do have to uh, add on here, and we're not going to dive into it, the PayFAC model, the payment facilitator. The short version of it is an ISV who takes on more of the payment 
burden uh, as well. And so they end up reaping a lot of the rewards for that, but then they also have from financially, but then they also have to take on a lot of the burden as well, but it makes onboarding a heck of a lot easier uh, as well. Uh, still not quite sure where that's going to play out in our channel, but it is certainly uh, something that's out there. And this is part when I've shown this to other folks who are like, well, where are the payment processors? Well, they fit in with the vendors. We consider them vendors because they have their own channel and they're just bundling with a lot of stuff. And so sure. for the folks who are following along at, along at home, uh, watching this in the lower right there is a big giant white gap in here and we're going to fill it in right now with what we call the DISD direct independent software developer these are the niche ISVs I mean like super niche not just I sell the restaurants uh, but this is somebody who sells like uh, you know we have a member who sells into not just laundromats but wash dry fold laundromats. We actually, right before we started recording this call, um, we had uh, an uh, RSP niche and startup ISV community meeting. And somebody there sells only into the firearms uh, business. Another one only offers only uh, text-based ordering uh, is what they do for restaurants. So like super, super niche stuff there. So we call them direct independent software developers. They don't have a reseller channel and they are you know selling their software directly they tend to be uh, you know smaller startups for for the most part but we also consider them the new var because this is the way that we see vars going to market like we just heard earlier i'm uh, speaking to our audience mike uh, not to you but um that mike had said um, you know, if he was a VARD today, he would be offering his own software. Where a lot of folks who are starting to get into this space, they're not starting with the hardware and then adding software. They're starting with their own software and they're like, oh, and I guess, by the way, I have to put some hardware, you know, and other services around it. They don't call themselves a VAR, but they're acting very much like a VAR. But instead of reselling somebody else's software, they're reselling their own software and a bunch of other services and payments and hardware that go on around it. And so, I guess I'll pause now. Like Mike, from your perspective, do you think this is an accurate representation? Do you think the future VARs see themselves as serving like a slice, just a small slice, but very profitable slice of the industry, and then wrapping those services around that? What's your take on the DISD being the new VAR? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, I don't know ultimately, you know, how this will all play out. I mean, I you know, you mentioned and I've alluded to all these opportunities within you know niche software that are out there and that's real you know if a var wants to go that route or you know a startup company wants to go that route i think they can definitely be successful i mean the business model itself it's it's not it's not anything new it's finding a need and creating a product that addresses that need um you know, I, I see a reality where a VAR or a DISD creates something powerful for a niche um, and then a bigger full service software platform buys them up. I could definitely see that happening. Like you mentioned that text-based ordering, that to me sounds like it's it's perfect for some other big established player to buy them up and add that functionality just lickety split no you know in no time and that might not be a bad thing if you're i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't not develop some killer app because someone might pay you millions of dollars <laughs> to, to buy that you know i i really um i i could see that cycle playing out repeatedly i i think the the challenge though that i have with the model is the the first D, the direct part mm -hmm. of the, the name, because 
there are very few companies, Jim, that I think can just spin up and get, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in backing to do the sales and marketing needed to gain the market share that you'd want to be successful. You know, most of these small software centric uh, VARs or DISDs, I don't know if they're going to be able to do the sales and marketing that's going to be necessary to get in front of all their potential customers. So with, you know, if they can, that's great. But if they can't, then we're back to them needing a VAR again, a traditional yes. VAR. And so, gosh, I, I don't know, maybe the traditional VAR isn't exactly going to go extinct. Maybe there's always going to be a need for, mm -hmm. for a company to, you know, expand their, their sales channel. Do you like how I didn't really answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> Very politically, Mike uh, Monticello, it sounds like you're going to be running for the RSP board. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to offend any of the constituencies on here. Uh, yes. But well, I guess here's the thing is, this isn't a one-way street. And I mean, because you and I have talked for years in terms of we classify this person as a VAR or a vendor. Well, now then it was like, well, what do you do with the ISVs? And what do you do with these ISOs, right? And it's hard to you know, exactly have a pure yeah. and clean business model. It's more on a spectrum. And I guess the way that we've kind of looking back and seeing in from an RSP membership standpoint, we have DISDs go, you know, I guess there's one of three paths. Uh, as one person who, uh, uh, before I joined the RSPA, they hired me as a consultant for their business and they were a startup a software company. And they said, let me be really clear. We could be out of business in four weeks. Like that's just how the software business goes. We could like totally uh, blow up in our face. So that's always one option. But the two, you know, sustainable options options are, they could end up acting like a VAR and being able to serve because of how they can do things remote or drop ship or things of that nature, use somebody like a field nation to do their servicing in the field. They could really have their own software and move towards that VAR path where they are able to do things direct from that standpoint. And since they have such a niche and they do well with online marketing, they'll be able to have a going concern there. But where we think a lot of these DIS DISDs are going to go, just like where the ISVs are now, a lot of them started off direct but then they said we can't do this all ourselves and we can't build up some behemoth sales staff to do it so then they have to start building of our channel so we almost see this you know the graphic on here isn't fancy enough to show that the disd can be a feeder system into that var bubble or they can be a feeder system into that isv with a var channel bubble there and that one's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as the needs warrant it right you can't go necessarily from nothing to a you know fully functioning var channel like that it's going to take time and I think as these DISDs grow, they're going to have a choice that they face that you kind of laid out there. Am I going to keep this going with my own internal sales team and doing marketing and demand gen myself? Or do I go down the path of starting to build a VAR channel, even if it's eight people, eight VARs, right, that cover different regions and can do things for you, and they can be the sales arm for you. So I feel like we're in a debate now. What do you think of that, Mike? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that that makes total sense. That makes total sense. And, you know, I was just thinking, like, as you're talking, um, I was thinking, how incredibly stupid. No, um, I was thinking, <laughs> how could, if I were in this situation as a DISD, how could, you know, what, what are some affordable ways that I might be able to move forward to, to take some first steps on my own? And um, one of those things might be to... Um, you know, get involved with a company like the, or an organization like the RSPA. I mean, you know, that's a, it's a great opportunity to go to an event like uh, uh, Retail Now and make a, a modest investment to exhibit there and get your solution out to not only um, resellers who you may or may not want to partner with, 
but there are other ISVs there and there are uh, distributors there. There are other vendors. I mean, the partnership opportunities are just all over the place for a, a pretty uh, mo modest investment. Yeah, and not, not to turn this into an ad, but thanks for leading me in there. We actually have this year on the show floor for these DISDs, we call it Niche and Startup Alley, and you're able to get a, instead of a 10 by 10, a 5 by 10 booth, you get a pass to the event, you get full access to everything, and I won't go through the pricing structure and everything, but it's way more affordable than folks might think. And it's at a price point where if you say, I cannot spend that money at all to test this out, you're probably, you know, too much, you know, uh, bootstrapping and riding it way too close uh, if you can't afford, you know, I mean, really all in with your travel included. You can do that for, you know, depending on where you are in the country, uh, $3,000, $4,000 all in and really test out to see if this if this works. And, Mike, I do have to tell you, so we do talk to DISDs and they're like, what path should I go down? And we have to say to them, like, beats me, right? Like, we really don't know because if we kind of, you know, started this conversation you don't know exactly where these trends are going to go. But if you throw yourself into the mix and start having all sorts of conversations with everybody in this ecosystem, it's going to become way clearer for you rather than sitting in your office, staring at your ceiling tiles, going, you know, praying, please, divine intervention here. Just throw yourself in the mix and see where it goes from there. Because, uh, you know, you don't know what plan A is going to work out. But if you throw yourself in and start talking to these folks, plan B is going to become a little bit more apparent to you. Yeah, I mean, the, really the only... Uh part of this you know the overall solution that that won't be at retail now would be the the end customer so you know as a disd or anyone just looking to get more engaged in the industry it's a perfect place to meet with all the right players um, just bounce ideas off people you might uncover a reason why you absolutely have to partner with vars or why it's an awful idea to partner with them why you should yeah. be working maybe there's a, a really good strategic relationship with another uh, existing software vendor i mean you won't know until you go there and start talking to these people and um you know the, just the the business opportunities are are everywhere at that show yeah, and just if folks are listening, like, what do you mean it's an awful idea to partner with VARS? Well, if you're a DISD and you do not have the infrastructure, right, to train VARS, right, to offer training to their merchants through them, right, and all the different infrastructure that's necessary, it is not the time to be like ready or not, the hide-and-go-seek method, right, of decision-making, ready or not, here we come, right, because then you're just going to disappoint people, burn your reputation um, uh, in in the channel. So, um yeah, no, this this is interesting to dive into this and, and think about it uh, in this manner. Let me ask you this, Mike, just while we're yeah. talking about trade shows uh, and, and groups and stuff like that. So you and I have promoted the RSPA, I say before people paid me to promote uh, the <laughs> RSPA, right? Like back where we at BSM, we would tell sure. people, well, don't just spend all your money with our magazine and our website. Set aside money to make sure you're going uh, to that event. Talk about this from a, because you and I were both for a while. Uh, you know, I don't know if you were a sole proprietor, but you were a business owner. And I remember we talked about this before, like, man, it's a lonely existence out there in terms of I'm not quite sure what to do. And, and to be able to throw yourself into uh, an association or at an event like this, and just ask people who maybe are a few miles more down the road than you are and to give feedback to, I guess, can you talk about maybe that emotional part of being a business owner and, and being part of a community and, and what that means? I just remember you and I talking like, man, I wish I had this when I was in business because uh, it's a tough yeah. road to hold by yourself. Yeah, so because uh, the publications I'm currently, you know, uh, working for or own, um, you know, w we cover a broad variety of different technologies and solutions and, uh, you know, get, get out there to a lot of different events and see different people. And 
gosh, no, no other event, no other group of people is as open and willing to share as what I've seen at the RSPA. So when you go to that event, you might be a little apprehensive. I'm not sure if anyone will talk to me or no one's going to be willing to, you know, give me any advice or point me in the right direction. I, I mean, it, it's the opposite of that. I mean, you know, you guys have done a great job uh, opening night. There's a new member reception where all you need to do is show up to that and you're going to you're going to set yourself up for success for the rest of the event because from there you're you're meeting all the other new members, you're meeting members of the board and um you know, you're you're almost just having someone hold your hand through through the beginning parts of the event yep. and meeting but, people that you could touch base with the the whole time you're there. Yeah, if I can tell you before and even before retail now, if somebody comes on board, uh, we have member services managers now, Mike, fully dedicated okay. to help people out and make introductions and help them help them navigate through. But as you're telling that story, it just reminds me. So Jay McCall, who's your business partner uh, on these ventures now, he played more in the networking managed services side. Yep. He came, I don't even know why, he came to work a booth at a retail now event. I don't know if it's because we were all like out and about, we needed somebody to work the booth and why it was Jay, I don't know. I mean, not that we were unhappy, <laughs> it was Jay, but I remember getting back to him at the end of the first day. And this is one, I guess I also remember that we were cost side down uh, at uh, Jameson Publishing. We had a larger room and we had three to a room. Jay slept on the couch, you and I uh, had the beds there. So I'm not telling more of a story about that, but I remember Jay reconnecting with him at the end of the day and he's like, what is in the water here? These people are so nice and helpful and looking out for other people. Like I don't get to experience that in other places. It's way more, way more cutthroat. So I do remember his first experience was like, what is the deal? He was super happy to be part of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the um, educational sessions where people have an opportunity to share um, some of what they've learned, um, boy, do they do it. And um, you might think, you know, well, this person's my competition they're not going to help me and that's that's never been my experience at that show i've seen i've seen people sitting next to their competition and um talking about business challenges and sharing advice and things like that i mean it, it really is a, a very unique um organization and uh an event yeah well, good. I'm looking forward to seeing there. I have one last question for you. Okay. And I'm really curious to get uh, your take on this. And this also gives a little bit behind the scenes of how marketing and contact uh, content overlap. So at BSM, when we made that decision, you know, again, sitting in the TGI Fridays um, <laughs> at uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, and we're like, we're going to be evangelists for recurring revenue. And so we branded the, we called it the as a service business model, small AS hyphen a hyphen capital s the as a service business model um and then we got to see vendors you know it didn't happen the next month but down the road maybe a few quarters down the road they were using that exact same phrasing the way that we yep. put it they were kind of saying things uh back to us because we said you know we're not just going to react to things we're going to steer people towards that and brand it i'm curious like the disd if anybody's listening to this they're not like oh i've heard about disds for a while do you think that label can become widely adopted and have staying power kind of like what you did with uh you know as hyphen a hyphen service uh business model the recurring revenue business model and all that yeah i mean i i think I think it could be widely adopted. I, I think, though, that what we need to see are some real-world examples and have them celebrated 
for what they are. Like you mentioned that, you know, there's going to be this area at retail now where we'll have some of these companies. I think it would be great if we saw some profiles about them. And I know you as, a, as an organization, you're going to be promoting that term. And, you know, hopefully the, the publications uh, like mine will pick that up and start using it as well. And it'll gain some traction. Um, you know, as, as defined, I think that there are probably a lot of B2B software developers who are also selling hardware right now who could already be considered a DISD, mm. but I, I don't know that they're going to use that term uh, until it becomes, you know, more widely used. And I mean, geez, Jim, there are ISVs right now that wouldn't even consider themselves ISVs, no. you know, like they don't even use that term. So sometimes I think we, like as, I don't know, the the media or an association come up with these terms because it's helpful for us to, um, you know, organize things and understand the industry. But oftentimes the solution providers themselves um, aren't even using those terms. And, you know, right. with, with, the, with the as a service business model and pushing that term to the POS channel, I think we had the luxury of another entire market segment, the managed service provider who was already doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and we could use them as examples. We could point to their success. I mean, we, you know, coming full circle, we, we emphatically knew that that model could work. Um, and so we were all, we, we had no problems leaning into that and using that term and evangelizing it and telling people at the RSPA, this is the future and you need to, we need to adopt this within this industry. I don't know if it's as straightforward on the software side of things, but yeah. I, I definitely think it could be widely adopted. Yeah, and it seems like you bring up a point there that the future is actually happening now. It just might not be as widespread and projecting the future um, and what the trends are going to be isn't just based on fantasy, right? Like we didn't say like, you know, it wasn't like us sitting in, again, going back to that TGI Fridays. I feel like they should, you know, have a gold chair uh, for us there when this uh, meeting happened because we keep referring to it. But it wasn't like this eureka and nobody ever thought of this before. It was adapting that model to a different space, right? So projections aren't based just on fantasy or conjecture. You've got to look around and see what you can uh, adapt. And that's a good point in terms of, and I actually just wrote that down, getting some of those DISD examples, because I know of some inside of the, the RSPA and just making those a little bit louder so folks can say, I'm going to follow that model and adapt it to my business. They don't have to come up with a blank sheet of paper and start all over uh, for really what's what's going on or, you know, wait for a, a lightning strike or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Wonderful. Well, that does it for this episode of the Trusted Advisor. We hope that you've enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSP YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate it if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and clicking on RSP blog. And I'm going to deviate from my regular uh, wrap-up here and say, Mike, why don't you give, because uh, we want uh, VARs and ISVs to learn more best practices. What are the URLs for your two sites? Well, thanks, Jim. If you're an ISV, um, go to www.devprojournal.com. We've got all kinds of information there to help you build a profitable uh, ISV business. 
and a fulfilling one as well. We have a we want to make sure that you're happy in what you do. And then if you're a VAR, uh, MSP, and even an ISV, but it's mostly from a reseller standpoint, it's xaasjournal.com. And we have, um, it's kind of like a resource center where we've got about 45 uh, or so services, recurring revenue services. We break each one down and share information on how to uh, build a recurring revenue model around those services. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And so before I get into my thank yous, I do have to just say, Mike, personally to you, like it was good to walk down memory lane with you. You and I have had tons of conversations over the year. And I'd say your imprint, right, the things that we learned together uh, is throughout the RSPA, right? To be honest with you, we talk about a lot of the things uh, that we saw uh, that you did, that the BSM team uh, did and, and admire those and, and folks, you know, say back to us in terms of what an impact it was. So, you know, thanks for being on the pod and thanks for everything that you've done uh, inside of this industry. Thanks, Jim. I, I appreciate that. I feel like you're uh, soft launching my run for uh, the board. <laughs> <laughs> No, there has to be some distance because they could be like, you know, it's a RSP approved member or anything like that. So oh, okay. might have to might have to wait a while. This is just like the exploratory committee. How about that? Okay, um, sounds good. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll run have you run for president in 2024. Um, all right, and also we want to say you probably don't want to devi deviate into politics on this. Uh, thanks also to RSP Director of Marketing and Strategic Partnerships Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music. And last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail IT ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks again for listening and goodbye, everybody.